0: And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick, and now your handsome hosts, PK Rick and their highly paid intern, Malord. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 Pandemic. Today is Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. And my guest today is Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital, who I have not spoken to in three weeks. Uh, How are you, Pam?
1: I'm doing great, but when I look out my window, it's kind of gloomy out and still kind of chilly. So I guess it's still winter and not the spring I hoped it was.
0: Well, since we last spoke, we kind of had that false spring, didn't we? And uh, we had snow yesterday.
1: We had a lot of snow, but hopefully it's the last
0: big snow. Who knows, but that's my hope. Can you start by giving us an update on your COVID patients?
1: I can. I'll give you, an, since it has been three weeks, I'll tell you what it was then and now, like I usually do. But I'm going to kind of tell you what it's been like in between, because I think that's kind of an interesting story. So when we last talked, which was on February 23rd, there were 14 positive inpatients with COVID and two on VENTs with five patients awaiting results. And currently today, there are 11 positive patients with two on vents and two awaiting results. And uh, deaths have only gone from 172 to 174, which I think is great. There's only been in three weeks two deaths, which is very different from what we've been experiencing in the past. What we did go through during that time was, so a lot of days were under 10 patients in the hospital. So there were days, that there were five, six, seven, eight. And so being up to 11 is just a little bit higher than what we've been running over the last few weeks. And, so, and it always concerns me when I think, see things starting to bump up a little bit more. So we'll watch this closely. Hopefully it's just a, a minor bump up. But um, we did run quite a few days when it was low, and that was very exciting. Talking about DuPage County, last time we talked, there were 70. 6,009 positive patients. Uh, Now there's 79,010 positive patients. Uh, There was 1,270 deaths. Now we're at 1,298 deaths. And for the state, there was 1,180,000 positive patients. Now there's 1,021,000 positive patients. And uh, deaths went from 22,506 to 23,216. So there continues to be deaths in the states, uh, in Illinois. And for the good news, we have had in the three weeks, we went from 1,518 patients discharged to 1,598 patients discharged. So 80 additional people have been discharged in the last three weeks.
0: Well, it sounds overall like it's good, but, but you uh, obviously do have a little bit of... Uh caution there with uh, the little bit of bouncing around of your COVID patients and it, it brings me to, to what's happened over the last year and, and this past Friday uh, marked the one year I hate to even use the word anniversary but the one year mark since you had your first COVID case as I remember it which was March 12th of 2020 right your first case?
1: It was our first case and uh Yes, uh, it was it brought back a lot of memories. It's amazing what has transpired in the past year, uh, you know going from lots of patients and not knowing what we were doing to less patients and feeling like things were getting in control over the summer, then all of a sudden having that huge increase of patients, which was even higher than the ori- original large amount of patients, but we knew what we were doing and we were able to keep people healthier during that time. But we, we were all the way up to 80 patients in a day during the um, November-December time frame and now back down again. So it's just been like a roller coaster.
0: So you've had an entire year where you've always had at least one or two COVID patients. And I know it probably feels like the new norm, but what's it going to feel like when there are none?
1: You know, I don't know. I don't know if, if we will get back to none, if we will, it'll be like a flu that we have some, or if we'll get our flu patients back and we'll be busy in a different way. Um, what will be nice is not having to have all of the personal protective equipment that we've had to use. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I nobody likes wearing these masks all the time. I don't know, you know, what will happen with masks, but at least... To, not to be completely covered all the time when you're taking care of patients will be nice, and being able to see people's faces again will be nice.
0: I bet. I, you know, when I spoke with Michelle Mazier a month or a month and a half ago, when when you uh, had taken a break, um, I had asked her about a patient who was signed up on my chart. How they might notify EE Health that they got a vaccination elsewhere. Do you, can you tell me what the best way for them to do that is?
1: You know, I'm so glad you asked that question because um, people are finding the ability to get vaccination somewhere else other than with us, and um, I, I'm, I think that's wonderful. I want everybody vaccinated, so whenever you can get one, go ahead and do it. So what you do is you go into your MyChart, and you go to the section that says uh, Communication, and you select Ask a Question, and then you select customer service, and then you just write to customer service that you no longer need your vaccine appointment because you uh, have already received the vaccine elsewhere.
0: Okay, so communication, ask a question, customer service, and then let them know you got your vaccine. Great. I think Correct. I think uh, hopefully that will uh, eliminate quite a few people off of your uh, your list of folks that still need to get vaccinated, I would hope and it might be a larger number than than we know. Um, I know that some COVID patients uh, have recovered and then become reinfected, but have you seen at the hospital at least any that were severely infected, in other words, had a severe case of COVID be reinfected a number of months later?
1: Um, We've only had two cases where the infectious disease physicians were suspicious the patient were infected, but we don't have any confirmation on that.
0: Um, I know you've talked about monoclonal antibodies being a great treatment for some people that um, are either suffering from a serious case or maybe are at high risk. What, what actually qualifies somebody for that treatment? Obviously, they have to be COVID positive, but what else?
1: So... There is a list of uh, risk factors that somebody might have. First of all, they have to get diagnosed with mild to moderate COVID-19 and be within the first 10 days of symptoms onset. And some of the risk factors are having a body mass index greater than 35, having chronic kidney disease, diabetes, immunosuppressive disease, uh, currently receiving immunosuppressive treatment, are 65 years of age or older, are 55 years of age or older and have cardiovascular disease, hypertension, uh, or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or other chronic respiratory diseases, or are 12 to 17 years of age and have a BMI greater than 85% for their age and gender based on the CDC growth charts, have sickle cell disease, congenital or acquired heart disease, neurodevelopmental disorders. For example, cerebral palsy, medical-related technology dependence, for example, tracheotomy, gastrotomy, or positive pressure ventilation um, not related to COVID, asthma, reactive airway, or other chronic respiratory diseases that require daily medication for control. So that was a lot of stuff I just said. The easiest thing to do is to, to go in and um, go either to your doctor, the ED, or immediate care's they can say, do you meet the criteria? And at the Medicare and the ED, we do these infusions. And, uh, and we want to give them as much as is um, possible to the people that meet the qualifications because it really does make a difference.
0: In the last week or so, the CDC came out with some new guidance that basically said folks that have been fully vaccinated can hang out indoors with other folks that have been fully vaccinated without wearing a mask, and that those same fully vaccinated people um, can um, visit with people indoors from a single household who are at low risk for COVID who have not been vaccinated themselves. So my question is, are you, are you familiar with that new guidance, and what exactly does it mean to be fully vaccinated?
1: I am familiar with that new guidance, and it's, I think it's a nice beginning step to being back to a little bit of normalcy. Uh, That guidance doesn't go for being in a hospital. So it's not, it is just for your own um, home household. But uh, what fully vaccinated means for any individual is that if you have received one of the vaccines that requires two doses, that you've received both the first and the second dose, and then you have waited two additional weeks for the second dose, to be fully um, integrated into your system and have the most efficacy. And once that happens, you are then fully vaccinated. If it's the one-dose vaccine, which we don't currently have, the Johnson & Johnson, then you still have to wait two weeks for that one dose to be fully um, effective in your body before you're considered fully vaccinated.
0: So um, are there any precautions that people who are fully vaccinated, they've waited the two weeks after they're final vaccination need to still take?
1: Well, we are still encouraging everybody to social distance, hand wash, um, you know, keep cleaning spaces and masking when in public because even though you may be vaccinated, there's still so much of, a, of um, the disease in society that it's not 100% effective and we don't want you to catch the disease.
0: Last time we spoke, you had indicated that about two-thirds of the EE Health staff had chosen to be vaccinated. Is that still about where uh, that number lies?
1: Well, we're inching up. We are now at 69% vaccinated and we have not stopped having the desire to get more people vaccinated. And so we are still reaching out to staff to try to help educate and uh, make sure that they understand that they can get the vaccine now, even if they didn't get it when we first offered it and understand um, the importance of getting the vaccine. So we're, we're still working at it, but we are at 69% now.
0: I know there have been cases of people who've received their, their first vaccination um, catching the disease before they get their second vaccination. So my question is, does that happen very often? And then my follow-up to that is, can then they get their second vaccine on the normal schedule or do they have to delay it?
1: So it does happen. So you've gotten your first vaccine, you're not fully covered, or you may have already been exposed when you got your first vaccine. And so um, you do develop COVID. It's a handful of of employees we have seen that with. Um, So once they did develop COVID, then they have to wait before they can get their second vaccine. Uh, A minimum of 10 days after the onset of symptoms, or if they didn't have any symptoms but they tested positive uh, 10 days from the date they tested positive.
0: Okay. I'm starting to hear a lot of people say that they have had some adverse side effects after the second vaccination, more so than I did in the early, early days of the, the vaccine. Um, I don't recall ever hearing symptoms as severe uh, being reported on a regular basis for those receiving flu shots. So are you starting to see more adverse effects? And um, t- does it depend at all on the vaccine you received?
1: So we have seen people who develop muscle aches, chills, low-grade fevers, particularly after the second shot. Um, but people, some people do get that with flu shots as well. I just think um, people are not as reactive to it, so they're they're not as worried, because people have been really tense and worried lately, but maybe it's not quite as severe with the flu, but they, they do get that kind of after effect, some people. Uh, we have not seen any differences between the two shots, so it had originally been reported that I think Moderna was worse than the Pfizer, um, but we haven't seen that. Some people react more to the Pfizer, some people react more to the Moderna, so I think it's more... Uh, you know, the employee's individual reaction. Um, It's also not related or correlated with anything like age. We haven't seen anything in particular with age group. Uh, We do see that if somebody has had COVID, they might have a little more severe side effect after they get the vaccine. Um, And then also, I think if people have a lot of allergies, they have a tendency to have more of a reaction. But we can't really relate it to anything else.
0: Could you give us an update on the number of folks that EE Health has been able to fully vaccinate or at least give a first dose to uh, in the categories of 1A and 1B?
1: Certainly. So the total number of 1A individuals receiving at least one dose of the vaccine is 10,823, and the total number of 1B individuals receiving at least one dose of the vaccine is 16,302, And the total number of 1A and 1B individuals fully vaccinated by us is 22,000. So, EE health-affiliated individuals identified in group phase 1B are, for the future are 80,000 that we still need to um, total that we want vaccinated. And if we do the expanded 1B criteria, it's another 80,000 that we would need to vaccinate.
0: So you still got about 160,000. I think it's it's interesting. I heard that, um, you know, the executive branch in Washington said they want everybody to be eligible by May 1st. And that's great, but we can't even vaccinate the people who are eligible now. There's not enough supply. So hopefully uh, that supply will ramp up. Do you know anything about the, the supply um, in the next few weeks?
1: No, I know that we got some this week, and, uh, you know, I think we got about 3,000 total this week, but we have no idea if we're going to get any more next week, and we heard um, that DuPage County is anticipating they're going to have another decline in the supply coming to them, and we get it from DuPage County, so it's, uh, it's interesting because... It seems that some other areas are able to get more vaccine, but DuPage County is having trouble getting vaccines.
0: So um, do you have any updates on the Johnson & Johnson vaccines and when you might see the first of
1: those? Nope. We do not have any idea yet.
0: Really? Do you think it's realistic? I, I keep hearing people telling me every day, including somebody this morning, said that, um, well, you know, we we should have enough vaccine to get everybody vaccinated that wants to at least the first dose by the end of May, does that seem realistic as we sit here today?
1: Not if we keep having this amount of vaccines available to us. If for some miracle we would start getting a large amount of vaccines, we could start getting people vaccinated, and then there's enough places doing vaccines that maybe we could get somewhat close. I don't. I think May seems unrealistic, but um, you know, if we had the supply, maybe we can get close. But there's not the supply right now, and we, and we don't have any uh, time frame to know when we're going to have the right supply.
0: My recollection is that your Downers Grove facility is administering the Moderna vaccine and the Lyle facility is administering the Pfizer vaccine. So I, I hope that's correct. Is that is that right? That's correct. So if you do get some Johnson & Johnson, will you administer that at one of the sites already set up or will you open another site for that?
1: We are working on how we would administer it, but we may also be able to do it at other places because it doesn't require the, the um, scheduling of the second one coming back, and it doesn't require the same kind of storage. So we may be able to administer it other places as well.
0: And the, the 2,000 daily um, capacity, uh, is that still pretty accurate? And I don't even know if it's relevant because you're not getting that supply.
1: We're not getting the supply, and, and basically right now we're at about 1,500 uh, capacity because we haven't been able to work up to 2,000 since we haven't had the supply.
0: So I've asked you in the past about uh, what the knowledge base is as it relates to needing a booster shot in the future. Do we know any more about that and the likelihood of that?
1: So um, I did a little research, and so out of Cambridge, England, it uh, there was some research that says, that we most likely will need to have a booster, and the booster is related to the mutations that um, the virus is forming. So uh, viruses are constantly mutating, and, um, and the novel coronavirus has mutated, what, it mutates about every two weeks, which is slower than um, influenza's mutations or HIV's mutations, but it does, it's enough of a, a mutation requirement that we might need tweaks to our vaccines and boosters. So, what they do is they look at um, all the different mutations and they, they order them at, in terms of the highest risk, and then they try to build a booster based on what would treat the highest risk mutations. So, you heard about the three different mutations that were going on right now and the, the biggest one that we were concerned about was the one out of South Africa because it seemed to um, spread faster and not be as responsive to the current vaccine. So that would be the one that would rise to the top and that would be the one they would work from trying to get a, uh, a booster that would would be efficient against that that mutation, the South African mutation.
0: So I, I was reading in... Um on one of your websites recently that the COVID-19 testing team for EE health uh, was recognized by Cranes. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, that recognition?
1: Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. So we've been really lucky to have uh, several of our staff recognized in in the past we had our infection control team recognized and now Cranes has, has recognized our laboratory services and what they, recognize us for was that within 72 hours of the March pandemic onset, the team was able to convert the testing platform, the M2000 testing platform that I used to talk about, to be able to run the COVID-19 testing. And, um, and they've continually been working on different testing platforms. And now we're currently running six different testing uh, platforms for viruses, and we're working on a seventh. Um, you know, and we, the thing is, for, the, for our employees, they had to add an increased volume. Um, so their volume went, is they do about 900 specimens a day. And that is two and a half times uh, greater than what they were running before. And the staff had to be here day and night trying to get all this going. And they made sure it was seamless and made sure everything was accurate. Um, and made sure that we had the best testing that we could have here available um, for our patients and our employees. And
0: that testing capability has become part of the new norm, and uh, you know that hopefully will come to an end uh, at some point in the future, too, and then uh, it won't seem like the same place again, will it?
1: No, but the team there is so resilient, and even throughout this pandemic and anything that that the future will bring to us, they believe that there's no mountain too high, that they can't climb together and do a great job.
0: Well, you're you're fortunate to have such a great team behind you, and uh, I'm sure that's not by accident. It starts at the top. So thank you for spending time again with us this week, and hopefully it won't be three weeks until we talk again.
1: Hopefully not and I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the week and I think hopefully the weather's gonna turn around in a few more days. So
0: I hope so. Thank you so much, Pam. Take care. The E Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.